Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Hassan, Sarah, Morton and Astrid to discuss how to build products from data. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So before we get into it, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. Hassan, do you want to start things off? Absolutely. So thanks a lot, first of all, to, for inviting uh, to this uh, uh, podcast, and I think uh, looking forward to learn from all the guests here. Just quickly, the intro. So I am uh, currently heading uh, the data intelligence and uh, advanced analytics with Denfoss. Uh, so the, for the people who do not know Denfoss, it's a manufacturing industry we work in mostly, but we also have software and uh, a lot of different things we do. Uh, but my background is uh, spanning over uh, telecom industry, shipping, uh, and so on, and consultancy. And I've been working with this field for a number of years now across different roles, uh, including being more technical and leadership roles. Uh, I am based in Copenhagen. In my free time, I am curious to know other things of nature and reading uh, and also exercise to keep the mind and also the physical shape. Uh, apart from that, uh, I have a, a, a hobby to play violin. So I wouldn't say I'm good at it, but uh, uh, it's a small world. So maybe some someday I have to play for uh, some of you guys. Apart from that, uh, looking forward to our conversation. Perfect. Thank you, Hassan. And Sarah, do you want to go ahead? Yes, sure. Yeah, so my name is uh, Sarah. I'm originally from uh, from Portugal. Uh, I'm a lead data scientist in a team called Advanced Analytics and BI. In, uh, in Novozymes, we are actually part of an area called Data Office, uh, placed in IT, Novozymes. Um, I've uh, worked with, uh, with data and analytics for the past uh, eight years, a little bit over eight years now. And my background is biochemical engineer, so that's really where my, my you know, there's, uh, I have a passion for scientific data. Uh, but uh, however, I've been working with other kinds of data as well. Um, and yeah, I, my role right now, it's a little bit of a mix uh, between leadership, tech lead, product owner type of uh, responsibilities with some hands-on as well. So I guess I'm in, you know, in between trying to figure out where to go next. So that's me and I'm super excited to learn from all of you and, and, and have this conversation. Thank Great. You. Thank, thanks, Sarah. And uh, next up we have Morten. Yeah, hi, my name is Morten. I'm also really looking forward to this conversation. Um, I'm in the airport uh, going on my way to Basel. Uh, so if there's any uh, loud noises in the background, please uh, have me excused. I'll try to mute us uh, if this happens. But anyways, uh, yeah, I work for DSV, uh, this uh, logistic and transportation company. About uh, We are about 60 to 70,000 uh, people at this point, uh, and we're trying to make these global solutions with data science, these large language models specifically. 
I am uh, the lead data scientist uh, at this point, uh, but also a uh, platform owner of our MLabs platform. So that's primarily what I'm hired in to do, um, to build like an enterprise ready MLabs platform. So it's a little bit of this uh, architecture stuff, a little bit of software development uh, principles, and then of course uh, the bread and butter, which is data science. So I'm looking forward to talk more about that. Perfect, thank you. And last but not least, we have Astrid. Yes, hello, I'm Astrid. Also really happy to be part of this conversation. I work for TDC Net, where I'm heading up the advanced analytics team. Um, we have yeah, been here about a year, uh, heading up that team, uh, but have, uh, I would say, maybe 12, 13 years of experience with uh, data and building models and building software with data. Uh, have a background in, in physics uh, and uh, yeah, always been very enthusiastic about uh, exploring data and exploring uh, mathematical models and, you know, lately machine learning. Um, since five years ago, I worked more as a manager or leader. And um, yeah, now here at, at uh, TTC Net, we built uh, infrastructure for you know, telecommunications, so both mobile and fixed line. And, you know, there is plenty of data in this space. So that's super exciting. I have a really, really great team. We are very autonomous, meaning we also have a, a really great MLOps platform to deliver solutions on. And there are many, many uh, very exciting, uh, I would say, data uh, challenges here. Uh, and we are working across the company on more or less everything. So um yeah i think it's really exciting to be able to share a bit of this uh you know space with some other peers in in the industry in in uh, in denmark and um, yeah i'm looking really much forward to hear what the others have to say about this interesting topic okay great perfect thank you all for your introduction so now that we've established a bit of a context context to each of you let's move on to our topic in focus so you all have questions or statements on how to build products from data as usual i'll work around the room with each of these questions and allow you to elaborate and then allowing each of you to give your take on the situations so first of all we'll come to you hassan and you want to discuss how treating data as a product itself paves the way towards building products from data can you explain that for us absolutely uh, at least i can try <laughs> So uh, I think what I mean by that is uh, working across different industries uh, uh, now, especially when I started with manufacturing space. So like I mentioned in the intro, Denfoss, we do a lot of uh, great products, uh, but digitalization is something which is a uh, good to have that might be manufacturing space sees. Uh, and then we have a lot of physical products that we do, uh, but data is everywhere. And then I think I'm not saying specific to us, I'm saying, uh, what my experience says is usually we treat it as granted that it's just there and we need to see what it is and so on. So we do not have, I think, the same lens uh, of looking into the data as a product itself. What I meant by that is if we look at uh, the data product uh, and the normal product development cycle, it's quite of mirror to each other, meaning you identify the opportunities that what you're trying to solve for the user, then you build an initial prototype, and then you iterate and evaluate its impact, right? Uh, but I think with data, it adds extra layer of complexity, and that requires a lot of cross cooperation and functions that needs to be involved. And then 
uh, that can only be leveraged if we have uh, opportunities with long-term view and starting simple because there is a lot of things when we talk about data and uh, all these kind of uh, things right but to keep it simple i think it's uh, when i say treating data as a product itself is because crucial component of anything uh, uh, that anyways goes into the physical product is people process and technology and then we need to interplay with all of them and then like we do with other product development things like how do we create certain product where is the raw material sourced from what is the supply chain so all these kind of basic principles we need to map it to the data as well so when we create data where is it created who is sharing that is it a bi team is it a data analytics team it is some data scientist sitting somewhere embedded in the product lines and so on right so my construct is uh, that i think that is something organizations have to see uh, uh, and that is from my experience working with telco and uh, all uh, these industries in the past and now mostly in manufacturing but having said that uh, i think that is easier said than done so i would like to uh, put some basics in place uh, the way i see that uh, how do we define a data product or how do we define a product itself uh, then two things comes to mind uh, one definition can be a product that facilitates an end goal through the use of data uh, and that is uh, there is no right or wrong into this definition it is just to understand what we are trying to address uh, so that we have a clarity uh, when we say data product is it something we want to leverage or is it something because every industry is doing and we should just copy paste uh, the other definition that comes to mind is uh, a product whose primary objective is to use the data to facilitate an end goal and not to be very conceptual here let's uh, take few examples as an uh, example uh, instagram because i mean today data is everywhere and there are a lot of products on internet today as we uh, normally are exposed to instagram is not a data product itself its goal is to have sharing for pictures and moments and so on but the data is helping to facilitate that goal by using the data search engine tagging and all these kind of things so meaning that of course the outcome is different than when we have a product like google analytics where it is a data product because there we have to see those kpis how can i uh, have a better interface on my website uh, do i get number of conversion rate that i have set the targets upon and so on so it's very tangible that it is a data product itself because i'm getting uh, this uh, insights out of that so i think that is important to define uh, as i said there is no right or wrong definition it is important to define for each organization what do we call a data product uh, and after that then there are different uh, types or layers of complexity as we move from lower to the higher level uh, one is the raw data so as i said data is everywhere and it can be used in different form factors so the raw data is the minutest or the atomic level of data like customer and all these kind of things so some companies they share just the raw data so that is one uh, type of data then comes uh, the derived data where you enhance the data with some few other attributes so join some data to make it a bit more uh, uh, usable uh, then comes the algorithms which we use today in our daily life uh, for instance sometimes we think sometimes we are exposed to that advertising world so we get a ad on our web browser so there is an algorithm black box that is going behind the scenes which is working with some data uh, then there are decision support systems 
where we are given a nudge by the system to make a decision. So it is uh, assisting us to make a decision. As an example, uh, Google Analytics. So it is telling me that my conversion rate is not as I had defined for my uh, monthly goal, as an example. Right? Then there are automated decision-making systems like Netflix of the world and Spotify, where they can suggest to me <laughs> that I usually listen to this kind of genre of music or these kind of movies I watch at Netflix. So these are, I think, different layers of complexity as we move from the lowest raw data to the automated decision making. The uh, form factor of the data changes a lot. And that, I think, is also important to keep in mind. And lastly, to cover that, I think, is then the interactions. So how do we interact with those data products? Is it a web interface? Is it an API? Uh, is it a uh, dashboard visualization and it can exist in different multiple form factors and sometimes uh, it is some nice fancy algorithms that are sitting behind the scenes like chat gpts of the world and i hope you know uh, uh, chat gpt4 is out now and it's quite advanced and there is less uh, design element but more things happening behind the scenes and lastly i think uh, after summarizing all this uh, I think the problem space has to be defined in terms of the end user, not in terms of the immediate data output. So who is exactly the end user we are creating these products for? Uh, and then expanding these to the adjacent products, because sometimes it's a combination of products uh, that we need to define those algorithms and so on. And then it doesn't become only a technical issue to solve or technical, uh, I wouldn't say issue, but technical product development, but it is a combination that how do we adapt to the context quickly and scale uh, scale up in a iterative fashion. And then I think lastly, to summarize, uh, the main element here is to empathize, empathize with the user experience. So when we extend these things that we say data products, uh, then how users are interacting with those and how it is making their lives easier or how it is making a problem a bit more bigger or a smaller. So I think that's uh, what I meant, meant by treating data as a product itself will help us to uh, be utilizing these methodologies uh, as I just explained. Yeah, great. And Morton, what were your thoughts on this topic? It's really interesting. Good, uh, good like holistic perspective on data. I have like an operational sort of question, I guess. That's where my mind is at a lot of the time. And that is, uh, if we see this data as a product um, and we look at the end goal, as you say, and the end user, it, it seems like there can both be the, of course, there can be many end users, but let's just isolate the business intelligence uh, department, let's say, and the data science department, two different users of the same product. Uh, so I was thinking, when does it, when does the data shepherds or whoever owns the data, when do they begin to be connected to the business intelligence or the data science people? Because as you say, it starts with the raw data and then it kind of like goes through these iterations of enhancement. But at some point it diverges and there's no more a, a commonality between the data needed for the business intelligence and the data science. I was thinking, how do we secure that that old lineage of ownership has uh, the can, can be used like as a generic product, um, and or is that at all possible uh, when it when it leaves the data lake and begins to be more uh, organized? Yeah, no, I think uh, thanks, Morden. I think it's uh, very relevant, and uh, I I wouldn't say we have cracked that code, but uh, I can share just my opinion on that. I think uh, uh, in the beginning, it has to be common. Uh, to start with the same similar set of users and the needs 
and i think it also depends on the maturity of those users how quickly they mature in order to get better with might be decision automated decision support system or making these all things not standard bi but also triggering some mechanisms which is event driven architecture uh, and then that threshold is different for each i think company and all the people or the stakeholders that are involved and then i think it makes sense then if there is a uh, because there are different elements into that one can be volume of users other can be cost driver it can be many different drivers to define that threshold and once that threshold comes then it i think is good in itself because then it already by following this process provides the reasoning that if we have to diverge why we are diverging or if we need to stay convergent these are the reasons we need to stay convergent right and i think that process itself will educate people to bring that data literacy and that data decision making process that yes we have different opinions but where we have commonality is the data and when we are deciding now to get convergent or divergent uh, that is where uh, the process or the data tells us uh, that it makes sense or it does not make sense because the business case is not ready education is not there or the technology is not there yet simply so it can be different driving factors i guess Uh, but i hope uh, you get the gist of it uh, i hope i answered it somewhat indirectly <laughs> yeah astrid what are your thoughts on the topic uh yeah i was just about to raise my hand um i think it's really really interesting and again it was a nice sort of uh, overview of your perspective uh i have a question more when you talk about you know the users um are you thinking about the uh yeah the data science and and the bi users or are you thinking about you know any business unit uh, uh maybe not uh, someone with a you know data background user in mind yeah so i think uh, uh it's no specific user i'm talking about it depends exactly which either people you are serving internally in the organization or external Uh, so today where i sit uh, i am responsible for both uh, and that's where we utilize this personas we identify personas as an example data scientists they have different needs external users they have totally different needs maybe or maybe sometimes they are interrelated right and then our internal finance users or sales users uh, who are consumers might be of the bi reports to figure out efficiency in our supply chain efficiency on our sales uh, processes and so on they have different needs uh so i think that user has to be contextualized and defined within that problem statement that analytics is about to solve and that problem statement statement can be as a very literal example is data scientists do not have access to data to run really advanced data science models uh so that user space is then defined by the data scientists that they need some data accessibility uh, to via the tools which is might be coding platforms like python notebooks and so on on the other hand might be the senior management they want the same data but they do not have the data skills so they want low code no code like as an example different products like tableau or power bi of the world and so on uh, so it again depends on uh, also the user space can be more uh, defined depending on the context uh, that overall problem is trying to resolve so that's uh, i think uh, to answer that that the user space is more generic i guess and specific it depends on each company's journey sarah do you want to go ahead 
Yes. Uh, so yeah, so super interesting to see the holistic view and also uh, the perspective more on an organization level. What I was thinking is more a from a perspective of a group of data science, something more you know local. If you're working on, let's say you have some problem you got from from the, your end users in the in the business, people maybe they don't have uh, the data background. I, I think this mentality of thinking of your uh, data or analytics uh, product as an actual product really helps because what might happen sometimes, maybe I'm guilty of that, is that you get too caught up on, you know, doing something cool. And maybe you hear, you know, oh, this is the problem they have. But then you're like, oh, this is the other company is using this really cool package for this. And, you know, I want to try this out. And you, you sort of lose yourself on, you know, what was the goal uh, in the first place. So I think just being able to change, at least this has worked for me, and I think for my colleagues as well, to really think, you know, who's the consumer of my product? You know, how is it going to be used? How, how would it be like the life cycle of it, like after we finish here? Um, and, and also, you know, being able to just prototype something. And so all this, I think, also helps us as, you know, in the, in the team. It has helped me for sure to really get out of that space. And then when you're prototyping, you still can try this cool stuff, right? It's not like that's, that's it's going away. So, so it's a mentality change for me that has worked really well. Okay, great. So before we move on to our next question, Hassan, was there any final thoughts on that topic then? No, I think uh, thanks a lot, uh, Sarah, also for sharing and the other questions. I think it also uh, is quite sometimes vague. So, and that's, I think, the challenge with the data, as I said in the beginning, uh, there are short-term things that needs to be solved, but it's more long-term uh, perspective that will help to solve these, uh, I think, the problem space itself at times. And that's, I think, the constant balance that uh, we always need to adapt to, uh, because that is, I think, huge on the digitalization side. The change is huge. So it's adaptability, I guess, uh, that is uh, continuous. Okay, perfect. So I'll come to your subtopic next then, Sarah, which is maximizing the value of data products through professional development and operations, well-structured teams and processes, and effective communication. Do you want to go ahead and elaborate a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, and I realize this is quite broad and, uh, you know, a, a long statement, but uh, really the, the, the sentiment behind this was just me thinking what are the three main aspects that I think have seem, seem to be important to maximize the value of, our, uh, of data products. And I think it's really, you know, the first of all, you know, your development and operation setup. So which tool stack you have to work with and how much automation you have and, and all that. And then it's, you know, of course, people, which people you have around in processes on the way you're working. And finally, communication. I don't think that's a surprise, you know, just a, just a super important, but it's definitely, you know, intentional that I put our, uh, the development and the operations first, because I think if you have that, uh, and uh, I, I guess Martin, you, you probably agree with this, if you have a good MLOps platform and you have a lot of things automated, people will be happier working also, that you have a more stable team that can spend more time on, on cool, uh, exciting tasks instead of configuring uh, files and, and stuff. Uh, so, in the, and then the processes are of course, much more automated uh, and easier. And, and finally, it also helps you with the communication with your hand, end users and stakeholders, right? Because you can really do the, the feedback loops and change something to your uh, analysis in models much faster if you have that set up. So, so I think it, it kind of 
helps, you know, with the other two. The first one helps with it and maybe they help each other, I guess. So my question back to, to all of you would be, you know, what, what do you also agree that these are the three aspects or do you have other ideas and, and why? Uh, so I, I'm curious to, so now I'm just, you know, putting it over to you. Okay, Astrid, what do you think? Um, I mean, in my, in my team, we've also spent uh, effort into having a really good MLOps platform so that, you know, let's say what I call time to value. I think it's not just something I call it, it's like a, a term now, but time to value is, is, is a, is a metric we keep sort of for, for internal process excellence or whatever you want to call it. And it sounds a little bit too businessy, but, but we are trying to optimize the way we work, the how quickly we can, you know, go from uh, ideation to prototype to MVP or some kind of product in in uh, in production in the business, and definitely having the tools and the setup for for working uh, faster. The I mean, I'm a huge proponent of you know the MLOps type. I mean. Um, thinking i mean ci cd ct and those kind of things so that's something we've also invested in having uh, and it's a continuous you know ongoing process we can always be better but it's definitely on the table uh, it's something that we prioritize so i yeah i think it's an interesting perspective to bring to this uh, mm-hmm. but yeah i i agree the focus is also on delivering and delivering fast because there are so many paths you can take uh, and you don't know if something has a value until you've actually uh, been able to test it and, you know, iterate mm-hmm. on it and improve. Yeah. And Hassan, what do you think? Uh, no, I, I think I will just echo so uh, what uh, Estrid and uh, Sarah has said, uh, because I think uh, also all these things are important, but at times also we are juggling with a lot of priorities. Uh, I guess it's nothing new. <laughs> so we need to deliver fast, quick, uh, then also innovative solutions. And that's, I think, the problem space of data itself or the products that are with data because data comes in different form factors, as I said, in the construct of that. And then I think communication, uh, usually we underestimate because it sometimes feels like uh, hiring 10 data scientists and put them in the corner will solve everything. And I think uh, uh, modern, I know <laughs> nothing about data scientists here, but what I'm saying is that uh, storytelling is quite important here, that how to utilize those solutions or those products, uh, and then exactly use those uh, examples to educate your users, which are direct users sometimes, which are indirect, and then uh, extend across different, uh, I think, uh, if not the functional areas, but product uh, areas, right? So I think uh, that's, uh, I fully agree that it is uh, important. And then also the speed is, uh, I think, uh, is an important element. We have to develop quick iterative loops uh, and at the same time show value. And I think sometimes with the data products, it's not the business case sometimes does not materialize uh, in some instances that quickly as the other product development cycle does. So there are some, I think, specialities, but I think all these uh, things, I fully agree that uh, that needs to be done in order to look at it holistically. Mm-hmm. And Morton, what about you? Yeah, it's, it's I'm beginning to get this uh, picture of a data science department as something quite new in the 
in the software development. But I know all data scientists feel uh, the same. <laughs> but um, but there's also some commonalities with classic software development. You don't want your stuff to break. You want it to monitor it. Uh, you want collaboration. You want versioning. Um, all this sort of stuff. And I think focusing on that is is quite important. And I think data science is is ready for that sort of next step of maturity. Um, and I'm I'm also uh, Sarah <laughs> totally. Um, agree with this uh, idea of technology first that you talked about a lot of data scientists have. It's the new shiny thing and it becomes uh, the, the real value becomes tickling the brain of the data scientists instead of like uh, thinking about the, the, the value that's generated for the business or the consumer in the end or the customer in the end. Uh, so I think it's very important to align the data scientist around like a, a, a common idea of where you're headed. But at the same time, I would like to say that if you're too focused on that, then you end up creating legacy by the time it hits production. So there needs to be that balance between when to think about like uh, good methodologies and when to think about going directly after the value. And that can be difficult. Yeah, back to you, Sarah. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. Uh, one more point I was thinking now is it's also, I guess, important. I've seen that it's important to also not over-engineer, you know, especially when you're trying to build all these processes and implement all these uh, MLOps features and so on. It's what I've, I've seen from my experiences. It's, it makes sense to really think about what make, you know, what's our context? What are the features that we can use that will help us instead of just trying, you know, again, just to taking, taking inspiration from what we've seen in another company. Let's just implement, you know, the entire stack here. So finding the, the balance again uh, there, it's, it's quite important. So you don't end up just spending a lot of time building features that you might not need. So, yeah. But thank you all for super interesting input. Perfect, okay. So next we'll come to you, Morten. And you've asked, what are the telltale signs of low MLOps maturity? So do you have something to, to add to that one, Morten? Yeah, definitely. I probably need to rephrase that a, a little bit. Um, it's actually also the, um, the sort of the title of a workshop I'm holding at this uh, Applied AI Nordics uh, next month. So I thought I would be some overlap, but it's there I have to pretend to be uh, the expert. Uh, so I would much rather try to rephrase it into, rephrase it into like a proper question. Um, and I think it's, it's a lot about this, as you also said, Astrid, the, the, the time to market or the time to value. Um, it's like all the stuff that's standing in the way, I think, is uh, is something that MLOps can solve. Um, and it's like about mature uh, software practices um, and algorithms breaking when they are produced. But at the same time, it's also this high churn rate in data scientists, as you talked about, Sarah. Uh, and then all the data aspect of it, which is also under the umbrella of MLOps a lot of the time, although there is this emergent uh, data ops, as people say. Um, but you talked about the data, Hassan. So I would just like to, to rephrase the question that in your experience, what do you think is the most, um, the biggest change you can do to create this value? Is it on the architecture bit? Like, is it on the infrastructure bit? Or is it on the people bit? Is it like on the ways of working? What do you think that's the biggest impact you have? Okay, I'm gonna open the floor. Who wants to go ahead and answer first? I can I can go. I I think it's a combination. I mean, the mindset is extremely important. Um, I think focusing on the value, even though as a technical person you are sort of thrilled by everything that's new and shiny. It's I think, at least in my experience, working on something that generates 
proper value is exciting. And I think that can help set the mindset right for, you know, these fast iterations, uh, you know, quick to market kind of thinking. And then you can always go back and iterate. You can always go back and improve. You could always go back and test a new uh, technology or, or whatever. But then the platform or the architecture also has to facilitate this sort of quick uh, turnover. So quick, you know, uh, prototyping, quick uh, deployment, uh, quick testing in the business. And uh, and there are some, I would say, I mean, fairly good tools out there, fairly easy to use, that if you combine them in the right way, you can act, it facilitates this way of, of thinking, I would say. Yeah, I can also add, I, I, I was thinking exactly the same. So combination of the two, I think they, they need to go hand in hand. Uh, it's... I'm, I'm, I think maybe, I mean, if you had to choose one to go first, maybe it's good to kind of set the peoples and processes first and then start to understand what kind of technologies uh, you need. It's not like you, you, you get the chance to really start from scratch and do these things. This kind of works organically. But I would say that maybe it has been, uh, and this is my personal opinion, um, it has been more focused on the processes and people and then and then maybe the technologies, but not to say that they are not both important. <laughs> and as I mentioned, the operations, uh, it's very much on my, high on my agenda right now. So I, I do see that it's extremely valuable and it helps so much with everything else, uh, with the processes as well. So yeah, both, uh, it's hard to pick. I think uh, I, I fully agree with all uh, this. And I think uh, if I have to pick, I will pick people anytime right because at the end of the day it's uh, goes back to uh, people and i was actually just chatting with someone and they were talking about chat gpt and they were a bit uh, pessimistic that it will change and of course we know that every technology brings some change uh, but the conversation was i think uh, that uh, made me reflect that even in non chat gpt world or the world we exist in today we consume a lot of different information and data and it is upon us to act on that data so if somebody will come to me and ask me to jump off the cliff, I hope I will not going to do that. So I think that is now putting in the digitalization context of chat GPT. So whatever it is throwing at me, I should not take it as a holy grail that it is what I need to do. So I think that people intuition and their curiosity will define the process and technology. And I think that's a healthy loop, a loop if we can balance that out. Uh, because at the end of the day, I think it's uh, these uh, people who can bring also the speed out of the box thinking and the processes are the reflections or the consequence of what we commit to certain goals and so on. And then the technology is there to accelerate that. Uh, so agreeing with all of these, I think, uh, uh, and then I think if I have to pick one, uh, then it will be people. Okay, fair enough. So Morton, what are your thoughts on all of these answers? I think it makes a lot of sense to think about it as technologies uh, kind of being the tracks and then the people are driving on those, but they can always, there's always a workaround. If the people are not aligned with the process that is cemented in the in the sort of the architecture or the tools, um, then they will just uh, do, do their thing anyways and somehow manage to, um, to fumble the ball or whatever on the way to generating the value. So I think it's, it's, I think it's it's a, it's a very good point that it's like a balance, uh, like with everything is, um, yeah.
Okay, great. So finally, we'll come to you, Astrid, and you want to discuss how to implement implement design thinking in developing AI products, and what are some do's and don'ts when it comes to getting the buy-in from users. So what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, so I think, um, Hess, and you touched upon at least the design thinking process when it came to just treating the data itself as a product. And a lot of what you uh, were mentioning in your sort of introduction to to that bit was was also aligned with some of the thinking that I had, like how you, I mean, define and an, an ideate on a product and then build a prototype test and implement, but then the, you know, emphasizing with the users who are using this. And this is just instead of looking at the data itself as a product, this is looking at what you build with the data, because this is some of the let's say challenges that I face my team is facing is that um, the adaptation or the let's say um, how confident people the general public I would say is with uh, artificial intelligence machine learning you know basically using data and mathematics and statistics to sort of infer knowledge um it varies a lot and that means the you know when i say user buy-in you know i'm today considering users of our products mostly as you know internal business users and you know getting the commitment that is needed on you know from them to adopt the solutions that we build and also you know take part in creating you know a new tomorrow where we would you know, use these technologies to create a more, let's say, streamlined uh, digital automated uh, workflow for everyone so that we have, you know, more time to be creative and and ideating and build new things rather than, you know, repetitive working. I think that has some, you know, there are some challenges there. Um, and I would think it would be interesting to hear if you have, you know, experience, ex you know, hopefully some positive experience of how to sort of get the buy-in and how to not scare, you know, um, someone who may not know exactly what artificial intelligence is and what it can do away from, you know, helping uh, towards that sort of goal of basically just making the users and the business uh, life easier, right? Yeah, Sarah, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is an extremely interesting uh, part of of design thinking and the the empathy part. And you already mentioned this, Hassan, as well. But uh, because, like you said, also Astrid, we at least in my case as well, I'm also working with internal. So my end users are from Novozymes, and actually a colleague of mine once said, you know. We shouldn't call them users, we should call them, you know, colleagues, <laughs> because that's what they are. And that really sticks to me, because I think that's such a key, uh, you know, uh, factor to really make it uh, successful. Just I think it's also a, lu a luxury uh, scenario that we have in my case, because I get to, you know, talk to them a lot. I get to build a relationship with my end user, which is my um, colleagues, really. And, and that has shown to really help with uh, the implementation of whatever we are developing. So I would say definitely that's something that we shouldn't, uh, at least from my, in my opinion, shouldn't underestimate, uh, you know, the effort put into talking to them, uh, just going for a coffee 
and you know understand what they are doing now and really respect that. I, I think that that's that's extremely important to really, you know, uh, as is the empathy part, right? So you go there, you really understand what they're doing now because you might be implementing a change. That's at least often what I do. So that has seemed, you know, it has, it ha it seems to be quite an important uh, part of it. And it, I, 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 I think you, you, you seem to agree from your comments also. And, and I, I think also, again, going back to not getting to, you know, being able to explain complex things in a very simple manner is, is quite important. And, and it goes back to the storytelling. So I think this is a skill that we need to have as data scientists. So we, you don't go in and you show a bunch of, you know, metrics uh, and not really explain what they are. And, you know, the way you you convey the results and, and show the results is, is quite important from my end. Yeah. yeah. Martin, what do you think? Uh, with another very businessy term, uh, as I heard you say before, Hestrid, um, um, it's like stakeholder management, I think is very, very important. And so it's basically like, first and foremost, I think getting buy-in from the top is very, uh, it's, it's like the, the most crucial thing, because from there, the sort of, uh, when the algorithm inevitably uh, disappoints on the first try, which always happens, uh, a lot of the times, then the product gets killed there. And if there's buy-in from the top and good stakeholder management telling them that this will happen on the, on the journey and a roadmap, uh, then you can alleviate those risks on the way. But it, it needs to be planned out, I think. And then there needs to be ownership established from the beginning uh, at the operational layer or at the user level, um, which means that there's a, there needs to be that very tight coupling between the product team and then the, the users of the product and a close communication runningly and then an explanation and an alignment constantly going on. Because otherwise, I think the, the product dies out really fast. Yeah. Hassan, what do you think? Uh, just to add, I think uh, I, I fully agree. And just to make it a bit more tangible, I think, uh, as Sarah mentioned, so we also had this. Uh, I think it's also start, uh, starts with mindset. Uh, so sometimes we are working for the same company, but we say we are customers to each other. So we also change that culture that we are partners. Our customers are outside that we are serving. And that unifies people together across product lines or we are in different divisions or, you know, uh, marketing or other departments. And I think that's important, uh, especially because, as I said, in the beginning, data is everywhere. And the best way to orchestrate that is to have cross-functional collaboration as much as possible because nobody has all the answers. Uh, so I think that's the core of it. And also, I think this space is quite uh, complex. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying other spaces are not complex, but with data. And also, I think the people who make those decisions and choices, uh, like like at the CXO level, they don't have the visibility and clarity uh, either that which option is this and so on. So I think to make it practical, what we do is then uh, usually I get that from my team as well. Whenever I say that, okay, now as uh, Astrid mentioned also, how can we demystify or democratize AI? So I gave the task to my team and they are looking at from their problem space and they are really brilliant guys from technical point of view. And I asked them, let's bring it to the level where other management can also look upon this. And they were like, but who is our audience? Is it only management or others? And I said, doesn't matter. Let's say there are different people sitting in the group. So how will you communicate that message or how will you cascade? So I think what I'm getting at it is that it's a change both in the data teams where the data scientists, data engineers, and these people, they need to bit more uh, work upon the storytelling 
and not only from their point of view, but empathize that if I'm coming from a leadership point of view, I don't have all the variables like a person sitting on that model. So how will you not sell me, but how will you bring me and educate me that this is what I have done or whatever? So I think that has to happen. And then also from the leadership point of view, uh, this openness on uh, be more vulnerable that if I don't know about something I don't know, uh, then I should not you know, pretend that I know it all. So I should say, OK, I was at a conference and somebody told me we need to build a data lake. I don't have a clue what it is, but I have good people in the organization to figure it out. And then I need to uh, understand what they will come up and then I will see that it is it something that we should invest in or not. So I think that combination has to work upon because also this top down uh, approach waiting and sitting, uh, I think it didn't work as well uh, because that will never come that we will have a full top down uh, alignment. In some spaces it is easier or industries, uh, but in some industries it's uh, not like that. Uh, so as an example, in our manufacturing space, we don't have these roles like chief data analytics officer and so on. Uh, so there you can see already the buy-in uh, gets a bit uh, difficult, right? And that's, I think the bottom-up approach also works. So you bring it to the level that then other people who are not directly involved, like CFOs and uh, these people who are represented in the CXO, they also get the bits and pieces. And then the uncertain space is bit coming with some facts and then they are comfortable to make those investments and choices. So I think that's the combination at the end of the day we need to strive for. Mm-hmm. And Sarah? Yeah, it's just just a quick comment. I also totally agree and I've seen that both, you know, top-down, bottom-up pr- approaches at the same time, if possible, that seems to work best. And then again, no matter who you're speaking to, your stakeholder, your user or colleague, uh, really like, again, maybe I said this already, but listening, listening, listening and asking the right questions back because, you know, there's always this gap between what you know and what they know. So really trying to bridge that is so important. And I've, I've, what I've seen is that by really listening and then, you know, going with the right uh, questions at the right level uh, of complexity and trying to find that common place, it seems to be really Either if you're talking to a stick like a VP or an end user, right? Depending where they're coming from. Yeah. Okay, Astrid, any final thoughts on your topic then? No, I think it was, uh, I mean, really good input. Uh, some of it, of course, uh, we already, let's say, use as tools. Um, but uh, no, I think it's, it is really important to remember. I think the your point, I noted it down, the users is our colleagues, you know. I I like that because, you know, I think when you are building a product and you're using um that terminology to let's say guide the, the process of developing it, it's it's easy to use the term users because that's how it was designed around. And then when you think about it in our context, I think all of us are working for you know, big, uh, yeah, more or less enterprise companies. And here our users are typically the ones internal, right? And they are, in fact, our colleagues, which is why it's also a little bit, you know, more of a, you know, fine road to tread or whatever you want to say. I don't know the exact expression, but you need to be more careful because they are, in fact, your your colleagues and you do not want to offend them, right? So I think it were yeah. good points, really good points. And thanks. Great, perfect. So does anyone have any other final thoughts or questions on today's topic? No? 
All good. Okay, so we'll leave it there for today then. I want to take the opportunity to thank each of you, Hassan, Astrid, Sarah and Morton, for providing some great insights into our topic today. Hopefully everyone can take something away from today's discussion, including our listeners, of course. So thank you all for listening. And if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. See you next time.